Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. American troops killed a major ISIS leader in Syria last night, but not all of the U.S. soldiers returned unharmed. Lawmakers question Biden's decision to fire missiles at objects that may have been benign balloons. And more on whether Americans will eventually find out what those objects were. House Republicans call for an investigation of a Chinese banker who leads an economic NGO for the U.S., saying they believe he has connections to communist China. Five former police officers appear in court today and enter their pleas, all facing several charges, including murder and the death of Tyree Nichols. I had to be here today to make sure that justice gets done for our son. This is a glorious day. This is the beginning of the process. And after a strong finish yesterday, Tiger Woods was back in action today, looking to make the weekend cut. An update on his performance. The White House says U.S. troops killed an ISIS leader in Syria last night. American personnel were wounded during the operation. Uh, last night, U.S. military and SDF partner forces conducted a helicopter raid against an ISIS senior leader, a man named Hamza al-Hamzi. Uh, and he was overseeing the group's deadly terrorist network in eastern Syria before he was killed in the raid. Um, uh, as the Pentagon has reported, an explosion during the raid also uh, resulted in four U.S. troops and one of the working dogs uh, suffering some, uh, some injuries. The troops and the working dog are in stable conditions. They're being treated at a U.S. military facility, uh, U.S. medical facility. Two officials say it's unclear what caused the explosion that wounded the troops. They're in Iraq right now, but might be transferred to an American facility in Germany. The raid group also reportedly seized weapons, ammunition, and a suicide belt. And lawmakers are mounting egg and lawsuits are mounting against railway company Norfolk Southern that's at the center of the recent train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, which released toxic chemicals into the air, soil and streams and forced thousands to evacuate their homes. But some locals are concerned that the company could be preemptively preventing them from suing as a condition of having their properties tested. Ohio Senator J.D. Vance told NBC local affiliate WKYC yesterday that he saw one of those liability release forms, then called the company, and they told him that form was given by accident. Earlier today, I spoke with constitutional attorney Jenna Ellis for her advice for residents in this kind of situation and more. Jenna Ellis, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Now, there are concerns that Palestine, Ohio residents could have their right to sue waived if they allow testing on their properties. What do you think local residents should be mindful of to protect themselves? Yeah, well, people are afraid and they want answers. They want to know if it's safe to drink the water and breathe the air. And so this type of solicitation for liability waiver is the worst exploitation of fear. And so I think that residents need to be very cautious when signing any type of liability waiver for future uh, claims of damages, even if it's uh, from a government agency or, of course, a private agency or anyone that wants to come onto their property uh, to do any sort of testing because they could be setting themselves up for actual real harm that then they have waived uh, future legal claims that they didn't intend to. 
Attorney General Dave Yost says he's considering suing the railroad giant. What do you think he would sue them over, if anything? Yeah, well, uh, he came out a couple days ago and said that he's considering a lawsuit over potential uh, environmental impact, other harms, and uh, potential negligence or recklessness. Um, reports have surfaced that potentially some of these cars from Norfolk Southern uh, were not properly labeled that they contain some of these uh, harmful chemicals. And so I think there are still a lot of questions that need to be answered. But my concern as well is why, uh, why Attorney General Yost has really come out that I have seen uh, for any sort of uh, protection for the citizens of Ohio and getting um, some of the fraud unit of the AG involved on uh, some of these solicitations for liability waivers and uh, really isn't to my knowledge or anything that I've seen or heard from any of the citizens and the residents on the ground uh, to really protect against some of these uh, waivers and to let people know on the ground uh, what potential could be involved with some of these waivers. So um, I've been, frankly, really disappointed with Governor DeWine's office, um, also Attorney General Yost, that it really seems like they're taking more of a backseat and a wait-and-see approach. Governor DeWine even said in his remarks uh, just a couple of days ago that he's waiting uh, to see before he contacts the Biden administration for any future help uh, to see what the damage report looks like. And this isn't a situation when people are wondering, is the air safe to breathe? Is the water safe to drink that we can just sit around and wait for a report? Senator Marco Rubio is calling for Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to step down over what he says a persistent lack of oversight that contributed to the derailment. Buttigieg has also been criticized for taking over a week to make any public statement on the disaster. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think Pete Buttigieg is yet another example of why diversity hiring instead of merit-based hiring uh, really shows up in performance quality. And so Pete Buttigieg uh, really has not done uh, his job as uh, the Secretary of Transportation in any uh, real way throughout his tenure with the Biden administration. And so uh, people just aren't relying on his decision-making. And so the fact that he took a week to even comment on this, um, in my view, shows that he really doesn't know what he's doing. And that has been a constant criticism, and I think a valid one for the Biden administration, that they are more focused on the diversity quota rather than the actual performance quota. And I think that people are really, really getting tired of that. FEMA apparently told DeWine's office the incident qualifies as a traditional disaster, but the state isn't eligible for their assistance on this. Do you think the law is preventing them from ascending assistance in this case, or is there more flexibility in making that call? Well, interestingly, Governor DeWine has not yet uh, declared an, an emergency in Ohio. And, um, you know, this is an interesting contrast between, for example, uh, the COVID pandemic, where there was an emphasis on some of the blue states for harnessing emergency powers that really uh, weren't uh, actually genuinely available under the Emergency Powers Acts of the states. But here, with this type of disaster, in my view, this is exactly what the legislature granted the executive office emergency powers for, not so that they could persist and override the will of the state legislature, but to immediately address eminent concerns like a disaster of this nature. So again, I think that it's irresponsible of Governor DeWine to simply take a back seat and to not use every tool available that his own state legislature has granted him. And so I really question why he hasn't declared an emergency in order to receive uh, more assistance from FEMA and other federal government resources. 
Jenna Ellis, constitutional attorney and former senior advisor and counsel to President Trump. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much. A Biden administration official told Fox News today that it turned down DeWine's request for disaster relief this week because, quote, what East Palestine needs is much more expansive than what FEMA can provide. And amid reports that the recently downed objects could have just been civilian balloons, the White House today defended President Biden's decision to fire missiles at them. Multiple outlets say a $400,000 missile may have been fired at a $12 balloon. NTD's Iris Tao has more. Questions are mounting after President Biden says the three unidentified objects downed last week. We're most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions. But are we going to find out what they actually are? The White House told me on Friday, probably not. Will the American public eventually find out what these three unidentified objects are, including which companies they belong to or which specific benign purposes they had? We would like nothing better, but I can't sit here and promise you that we'll get to that level of fidelity of detail. It's going to be very difficult to find them, let alone once you find that debris, be able to do the forensics to identify it. So. John Kirby adds that a one downed in Alaska ended up on sea ice in Arctic conditions, and recovery teams have not been able to mount anything on the ice to find the debris. And there's a similar fate for the object downed in Canada's Yukon Territory. Thick wilderness. And the one that fell over Lake Huron. Again, in very deep water. I think the Canadians have decided that they're not going to look for it anymore. This, as some lawmakers are questioning, if we knew so little about these objects, why shoot them down in the first place? There are reportings, though, coming out that they are just mere hobbyist balloons that may have been worth as little as $12. And uh, it seems like we missed the big balloon and let the other three that were not a threat, we shot them down. The White House on Friday defending Biden's decision. I'd ask you to, just for a second, put yourself in his shoes, especially certainly in light of the Chinese spy balloon. Meanwhile, attention is growing as Biden says he'll be talking to China, Xi Jinping. And I asked the White House today, will President Biden bring up human rights issues with Xi Jinping? The president never fails to bring up human rights concerns. And when he met with uh, President Xi in, in uh, Bali, he brought it up then. The president believes that, that you have to lead with your values, particularly in foreign policy. He's never shy about bringing that. The White House says the U.S. has not formally extended a request for Biden to talk with Xi, but notes that it will happen. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Six Republican lawmakers are asking the FBI to investigate a Biden appointee. He's a Chinese-American banker with ties to communist Chinese leadership. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. In a letter to the FBI on Wednesday, six Republican lawmakers called for an investigation of Chinese-American banker Dominic Ng. In July 2022, the State Department appointed Ng chair of the APEC Business Advisory Council. His role involves advising Asia-Pacific leaders on economic growth in the region. The lawmaker's letter accuses him of having close ties with the Chinese Communist Party. A week ago, a Daily Caller investigation revealed that Ng had ties to several organizations connected to the CCP's United Front Work Department. Philip Lenzicki, the reporter who broke the story, said the UFWD is a Chinese intelligence service. They're targeting ethnic minorities, and even traditionally, they're going after um, business associations and trade unions and all types of clubs. They want to get 
control of these different organizations so that they can establish a united front and push the CCP's policy objectives. He said that one of the front organizations that Ng heads is called the Committee of 100. Uh, Mr. Nig uh, has taken trips to China where he's met with the leaders of this uh, organization. He has also met with these individuals in the United States. In 2012, Mr. Nig uh, met with uh, Xi Jinping. Uh, in 2013, Mr. Nig joined the China Overseas Exchange Association and just two months later was meeting with their leaders um, in Beijing. So uh, the chain of events is quite clear. NTD reached out to Ng to get his response to the allegations. We're still waiting for a response. The lawmakers are concerned that Ng will have access to sensitive U.S. information. Len Zicke said his investigation took about two weeks. I asked him if the White House conducted a similar investigation. We'd love to know that as well. We, we asked these questions to the Biden administration, to the FBI, the State Department, and we um, did not hear back. NTD reached out to the State Department, which referred us to the White House. We haven't gotten a response yet. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Lawmakers are now asking, is Pfizer conducting gain-of-function research for its COVID vaccines? And have FDA officials approved Pfizer drugs in order to get a job at the company later on? Project Veritas published this letter. It shows multiple lawmakers calling on the FDA, HHS and the NIH about the two issues. In the letter, the lawmakers refer to a video published by Project Veritas in January. The video shows Pfizer's director of research and development saying the company conducts directed evolution for COVID vaccines. The lawmakers say this resembles gain-of-function research, which is when scientists purposely strengthen a virus in order to create a better vaccine. The practice is highly controversial because the mutated virus could escape the lab and spread. The director also said that FDA officials often approve of Pfizer drugs in order to get a job at the company later. The lawmakers are concerned that regulators may be sacrificing safety standards for employment opportunities. And five former police officers were arraigned on murder charges today and the death of Tyree Nichols. They all pleaded not guilty. Five former police officers from Tennessee made their first court appearance before a judge in Shelby County Criminal Court. They were fired after an internal police investigation into the January arrest of Tyree Nichols. Nichols died in a hospital three days after the cops allegedly beat him for several minutes. One officer reportedly took photos of Nichols after the beating and sent them to friends. Because of that, rumors have emerged that this was a personal attack. All these rumors that are circulating are bogus and untrue because we have the text messages. The prosecutors have been able to verify exactly who those pictures were sent to. The former officers are charged with second-degree murder, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping, official misconduct, and official oppression. All of them pleaded not guilty at Friday's arraignment. Nichols' family was also at the hearing. I had to be here today to make sure that justice gets done for our son. This is a glorious day. This is the beginning of the process. Police said Nichols was stopped because he had been suspected of reckless driving. However, no verified evidence of a traffic violation has emerged in public documents or in video footage. Nichols' mother pointed out that none of the officers looked at her during Friday's arraignment. So they're going to see me at every court date, <laughs> everyone, exactly. and um, until we get justice for my son. 
The Nichols case is the latest to prompt nationwide protests against police brutality. The attorney for one of the former cops reminded people that the process must be based on the facts and the law and not the raw emotions that our country is experiencing. Nichols was black, and all the officers charged in his death are also black. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. A nonprofit organization spearheaded by Governor Gavin Newsom's wife, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, is coming under scrutiny. The films, which are being shown in public schools, contain content that some say is inappropriate for young children. NTD's Jackie Rios spoke to a government watchdog organization to hear more. She also reached out to Siebel Newsom's nonprofit for comment, but didn't hear back by airtime. Jennifer Sybil Newsom recently came under scrutiny with her nonprofit organization called The Representation Project. OpenTheBooks.com, a nonpartisan government watchdog, recently investigated the films and nonprofit. We followed it right into the governor's wife's, Jennifer Sybil Newsom, her public charity, who's a film and curriculum nonprofit organization that licenses her films and curriculum to public schools across the country and in the state of California. So over the course of the last decade, her for-profit business has received $10.6 million from her non-for-profit. She's also earned salary of $1.5 million from her non-profit over the course of the last decade. So that's $3 million. Can you explain a little bit what each film has? And they also have lesson plans. I mean, it's quite detailed. So the content in some of the films is quite troubling. Viewer discretion is advised. But here's kind of a short synopsis and description of what the children are seeing. For 11-year-olds, you see an upside-down animated stripper with tape over her chest. For 15-year-olds, it's even worse. I describe this as a pipeline to pornography in the public schools. The film Angieski is talking about is the film Misrepresentation, a film addressing sexism in the media. So beyond the sexually explicit imagery that's in, the, in two of the four films, you have other lessons that are being taught to children. For example, you have Marxist ideology being taught in the classroom. So what can parents do? Parents across the country, you need to know empirically what is being shown to your children in the classroom. We have no idea what's being shown to our children in the classroom. The group's website states the films produced have reached over 2 million students and over 5,000 schools. Jackie Rios, NTD News, California. If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, a growing threat of cyber attacks from China. What the FBI is warning state officials about as the Pentagon's top China official arrives in Taiwan. And in golf, Tiger Woods surprised many with his return this week and strong finish yesterday. We'll have an update on his round two performance. That and more coming up. The FBI is calling on U.S. officials across various states to be on their guard. That's in the face of a growing threat from Chinese hackers. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has more. 
a warning from a senior FBI official calling on U.S. officials to be on their guard ahead of the next election. They say Chinese hackers pose a growing threat and that U.S. officials could see more Chinese cyber activity against their states as foreign actors search for political intel. The remark comes from Cynthia Kaiser, deputy assistant director of the FBI's cyber division. She noted Chinese hackers scanned the computer infrastructure of both Republicans and Democrats. Why? Searching for vulnerabilities. It's unclear if any data was compromised. In addition to China, Kaiser said potential cyber attacks from Russia and Iran remain a significant concern. Chinese hackers have been waging cyber attacks against the U.S. for over a decade. Among the information they lifted, personal files on over 4 million U.S. government employees, clearance background information on over 20 million Americans, and most recently, at least $20 million of COVID-19 relief money. Responding to Kaiser's remark, the Chinese embassy in Washington said it does not encourage cyber attacks. The Pentagon's top China official has arrived in Taiwan. Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Michael Chase making the trip amid aftershocks from the downing of the Chinese balloon and three more unidentified objects. So far, neither the U.S. nor Taiwan have commented on the visit. Despite Taiwan having its own democratically elected leaders and constitution, China has a history of opposing any official visits by foreign authorities to the island. U.S. officials have made a number of trips to the island in recent years. In 2022, then-U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi landed in Taipei. In response, China staged a series of military actions, encircling the island with troops as they carried out a live military drill. And in 2020, U.S. Health Secretary Alex Azar paid a visit to Taiwan to support its transparency during the COVID-19 pandemic. Beijing once again denounced the trip, calling it a U.S. attempt to interfere with the One China policy. That's Beijing's stance that Taiwan is part of mainland Chinese territory. Chase is the most senior U.S. defense official to visit Taiwan since 2019. As of now, Beijing officials have yet to comment on the visit. And China is banning two major American aerospace and defense companies. That was over their arms sale to Taiwan. This marks China's latest sanction against the two U.S. firms. China is going after Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, two of the biggest aerospace and defense manufacturers in the world. It has put the companies on an unreliable entities list, banning them from imports and exports related to China. These are Beijing's latest sanctions against the two U.S. firms. They come after the U.S. military shot down a Chinese spy balloon. Lockheed makes the F-22 Raptor fighter jet, which flew the mission, and Raytheon makes the missile it used to take it down. Beijing warned of countermeasures against relevant U.S. entities that undermine China's sovereignty and security after the incident. Neither company sells defense products to China. Raytheon declined to comment. Lockheed could not be immediately reached for comment. Beijing took several other measures. It banned the companies from further investment in China, barred senior management from entering the country canceled residence permits for any staff in China, and imposed fines that are double the contracted amounts of the arms sales in Taiwan. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Tiger Woods shot a three over 74 today at the Genesis Invitational in his return to competitive golf after a seven-month layoff. 
Woods bogeyed three of his final four holes to put him at one over par overall after two rounds. The 15-time major champion finished with a flurry in round one yesterday, birdieing his final three holes. The longtime former number one player hadn't played a competitive round since last summer's British Open as he continues to recover from a car crash two years ago that nearly cost him his leg. The 47-year-old said he can still hit shots but struggles with walking on his surgically repaired leg, specifically his ankle. Earlier in the week, Woods admitted he hadn't walked 72 holes over the course of four days, but added that he wouldn't have put himself out there if he didn't think he could win. And in baseball news, Padres third baseman Manny Machado says he'll opt out of his contract after the upcoming season. The six-time All-Star signed a 10-year, $300 million contract four years ago that was the second largest in the league at the time. Now it's tied for the 11th highest as salaries have continued to climb. The 30-year-old, though, hasn't disappointed with the Padres, finishing runner-up in last year's MVP voting and third in 2020 while making two more All-Star teams. The Padres, meanwhile, have continued to spend this offseason, signing Xander Bogarts to a $280 million deal and then extending Hugh Darvish's contract for six years at a total of $108 million. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, no games in the NBA with All-Star Weekend on tap instead. Though the All-Star Game is Sunday, tomorrow's events include the dunk contest, skills competition, and three-point shootout. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has five games on tap tonight with the streaking New York Rangers, who've won six straight, playing at the Edmonton Oilers and leading scorer Connor McDavid. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, all yours. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.